Want a fresh take on what's going on with the Saints, LSU, the betting world, and the NFL? Then you've picked the right place. Jim Derry has plenty of datitude, and he's ready to tell you the way it is. Well, the way he thinks it is. Where you at, New Orleans? And hello to all my friends around the country who have realized they don't need to fire up the grill for Father's Day. Just throw the meat out on the pavement. It'll cook itself. There I am talking about the weather again. Hello, everybody. I am Jim Derry, sports betting writer at the Times Picayune, the Advocate, and bet.nola.com. And this is Datitude. Episode number 78 for a Friday, June the 17th, 2022. Yeah, I mean, come on. I got I to talk about the weather. I mean, it, when it's 97 degrees, I'm not going to let it go. I hate summer. I am not going to let it go. Although I'm going on vacation. I was looking up uh, going to Florida next week. Although, programming note, we're going to talk about it in just a moment. We're going to have a special guest. We are going to have a datitude next Friday because we have a very special guest. But you'll have to get through this show to find out who it is. It's someone you're going to want to hear from. I promise you. No cheating. You can't just use your little thumb and scroll forward and find out who it is. Jeff Duncan's going to come on the show in just a moment to talk about what he saw at Saints Minicamp. And then we're going to tell you who our guest is going to be because Dunk's going to be on with me next Friday. To interview our subject. It's someone you all know. It's someone uh, you'll want to hear from again. And Duncan and I are both going to talk to him next Friday on Datitude. Again, you'll have no cheating. Get your thumb off the screen. Do not do it. You've got to listen to the show first. We're going to talk Saints today, Saints minicamp. But uh, first, my thoughts on the NBA Finals very briefly, and I mean very briefly. You know, I was in a text chat uh, giving Zach Ewing the business last night. Uh, for those of you who watched any of our shows uh, on bet.nola.com or on our nola.com Facebook page, YouTube page, um, you know that Zach Ewing has been all over the Boston Celtics. He's been telling, oh, when it was two to one, he was, he was loving it. He was giving us the business. Because I told him it didn't matter who the competition was. The Warriors were going to, I think, do we need any more proof? Would it have mattered who the Warriors were playing in this series? It, it didn't matter. They were going to win. I mean, now, granted, Boston played terrible, but you, you think the Warriors had anything to do with that? I mean, when they just keep firing those threes and stuff keeps hitting them from everywhere... It doesn't matter who the opponent is. I mean, he, he finds a way around every, anyone. I mean, really, the Celtics play as good a defense as almost anyone in the NBA, if not as well as anyone in the NBA, and it didn't matter. And I tried to tell Zach that, and he just didn't want to listen. And so we're going to roast him a little bit before I go on vacation next week uh, on the Bayou Bet Show on Monday. But, uh, yeah, that text group was interesting. That being said... Has there ever been a less dramatic or almost less interesting finals that went at least six games in this one? I mean, there was very little drama in any of these games. I mean, maybe when it got to two to one, you were like, man, can the Celtics pull it off? I don't know. But none of these games were, we didn't have a single exciting game. 
We didn't have a single game that you didn't know the outcome, like with at least four or five minutes left. And I mean, you could argue almost that even going into the fourth quarter, and I think just about every game, even though maybe the score wasn't lopsided enough to know who was going to win, you pretty much knew, right? I don't know. Last night was was the most anticlimactic finish to an NBA Finals maybe that I've ever seen. They didn't even get excited on air. It was like, eh, Golden State wins their seventh world championship. Steph Curry's the MVP. Well, duh. I don't know. Maybe I'm old and jaded. I don't know. I just didn't, uh, it didn't, it didn't strike me as a big deal. I know it's a big deal. Of course it is. I mean, Steph Curry broke down with three seconds left. He, you know, he realized, oh, wait, I got to go finish the game. He started crying, and I don't blame him. I mean, it was his first MVP, his fourth championship since 2015. I mean, it's quite an accomplishment. I'm not trying to diminish anything that they were able to do, but, ugh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's because I don't know what it is. Um, but it was, it was not your typical NBA Finals. It was just kind of, eh, okay. Whatever. And I thought the playoffs were really pretty good overall. But the finals, eh, whatever. Uh, Moving on, and uh, I'm not going to take a lot of time with my monologue because we do spend quite a bit of time with with Dunk. And uh, his observations now that minicamp's over, it's interesting. He says uh, players now have five weeks off. They couldn't wait to get out of there. He talks about how they moved up the, uh, the locker room access time by almost two hours. I find it interesting because, hey, they're just like you and me. When you got time to go on vacation, you take it. And football is pretty much a 48-week job now. If you play football, I mean, even when you're on vacation, you're probably still doing most, – most of the guys are probably still doing something to make sure that they stay in as close to football shape as they can. Because when they come back, the grind starts. I mean, and if, if you hope the grind lasts until – now the second week of February. You think about that and how long that that is. I mean, I'm no math genius, but I mean, that tells you that's more than half the year. And it's a week-to-week-to-week grind. It doesn't end. You know, as when, I, when I was a pup, when I first came in this business, I promise you they didn't work as hard as they do now. And even NFL reporters, you know, being an NFL beat reporter, which I'm glad I no longer am, I've, and I didn't do it for very long. Um, I did it off and on throughout my career. Just had my 31-year anniversary um, in this business last week, as a matter of fact. Um, But when I first started, there was, I mean, it didn't go all year round like it goes now. I know I sound like an old fart, but, I mean, geez, it is tough. I don't envy those ladies and gentlemen at all. Because they work their keisters off, and it is a nonstop job. You know, we just lost um, a great reporter. Amy just uh, went back home. She's going to be working in Lincoln, Nebraska as a sports columnist, and we will certainly miss her. Um, but uh, being a columnist is a tough enough job. You know, when you, you, it's hard to be a beat writer, and you don't see NFL beat writers, most of them don't do it for longer than – six, seven years before they ask for off and do something else for a while. Sometimes they come back to it. But a lot of times they don't. And, um, you know, guys like Mike Triplett, who I've been friends with for many, many years, 
he that's not a regular thing. I mean, Mike Triplett's been covering the Saints. I, I mean, I can't remember exactly when he came to us at the time Spicium, but it's somewhere around getting close to 20 years now. Um, and now at ESPN. They don't last covering one team for a long time. It's a tough job. And so the players get some well-deserved time off. My colleagues are going to get some well-deserved time off. And even I'm going to have some time off. So we will have a special Datitude next Friday again at the end of my interview coming up here with Dunk. We will tell you who that is. Um, But other than that, I am going to be out of pocket for the most part until after the 4th of July when I close down the show. Uh, I will do, be doing Bayou Bets on bet.nolo.com on Monday afternoon just to roast Zach a little bit. Um, I think I'm running the show because he's still at a convention, but uh, he's going to come on, and that's going to be fun. So, we'll, But other than that, I am going to be off for most of the next uh, two-plus weeks. And Datitude will resume after next Friday, two weeks from then. We will take a week off of Datitude, and we will be back uh, the first Friday in July. Let's get to Jeff Duncan and talk about what he saw at minicamp. Lots of things going on. I'm, I was interested to get his take on Jameis Winston on the wide receiving core. He t- Dunk talks in his uh, little roundtable story this morning on NOLA.com about how good the defense has looked, and that's, that's understandable. I mean, with Dennis Allen in the fold, and it's, this team is making a shift. It's going to be defense first. It's, gonna, it's, it's a weird shift, but it's one that Saints fans, I think, will – Especially older ones like me, that that's what we saw in the '90s, right? When Jim Moore was good, Jim Moore's teams were good. I think that's kind of where we're going back to, and that's okay. So we talk about that and a whole lot more with our columnist here at the Times Picayune. Welcoming into the Dadtude Podcast again on a Friday morning, our friend Jeff Duncan, columnist at the Times Picayune and the Advocate, and uh, occasionally writes some stuff for us on bet.nola.com. Dunk, what's going on this Friday? It is almost vacation time. I know you're like me. You're chomping at the bit. Yeah, man. I'm still trying to figure out where I'm going. <laughs> That's the crazy thing. <laughs> well, I at least know that. I know. I don't know where I'm going to go. I'm trying to find some place cool. Like, I want to get out of heat. So, I'm looking at, like, the Pacific Northwest or maybe even the, you know, mountain, the Blue Ridge Mountains up in the uh, Asheville area. But I got to get out of this heat. This, this is killing me. You aren't the only one. Um, where was that camp in West Virginia that the Saints trained at? Um, Greenbrier. There you go, Greenbrier. You go there. I know they, they, they've got some cool temps. Uh. Somebody suggested that at minicamp practice yesterday, and I was like, you know what? It's not bad up there. It's, it's beautiful. Uh, did you go ever go up there? No, I was, lo- I was lucky enough not to be – not that I didn't want to go to Greenbrier, but when you go somewhere, you feel like you're kind of like – in a different country almost for three weeks. You know what I mean? Like you're elsewhere, yep. like lacrosse days. I mean, you just feel like you're trapped almost. You can't go anywhere. So it's kind of Well, glad. you know, it's funny. It was very divisive uh, subject for the Saints media corps. Uh, there was Team Greenbrier and then Team Metairie. And I was definitely <laughs> on Team Greenbrier just because of the heat alone. I loved right. it up in West Virginia. It was beautiful. It wasn't crowded. Uh, you know, there's a beautiful river with a – great running trail and biking trail alongside uh, practices where you wore like a fleece or a sweatshirt in the morning in the middle of August. I mean, yeah, uh, but you just, uh, July, you don't see anybody, you know, except for the people that are enclosed in the camp for like three to four right. weeks. 
So other than yeah, that, it was a real like uh, a real collegial feel to it. You know, you you'd go out at night, you'd run into the Saints executives, but scouts would be out because it's such a small little town. Uh, so I I really liked it. Um, I felt like the Saints got great work up there, but. You know, of course, that was why JD they weren't winning was the Greenbrier. Remember that? That's right. I do remember they didn't they didn't work out in the heat. It was the same thing. The same thing when they went to lacrosse, they weren't winning because they were they were not working out in this Louisiana heat. You gotta you gotta work out Louisiana heat to win the football game. Yeah, as as Sean Payton used to always point out, uh, Bill Walsh and the Forty Niners trained in Napa their entire time. (laughs) Didn't seem to hurt them any. (laughs) <laughs> oh, facts, Jeff Duncan. You got to mess things up with facts. Come on, man. That's no fun. Um, speaking of fun, many camps over. Uh, the players and the coaches and a lot of the the, the guys over at, at Saints camp and, and, and gals are going on vacation. And so they're going to be off for the next, much of the next five weeks. And um, we will be off for part of that time. Uh, we will have a very special Datitude next Friday. Uh, we're excited about. Um, we will talk about that in a little bit. But um, as they go into to vacation mode now, um, what do these what do these guys do? I mean, do you think do do some of them actually stay in work, or do all of them just get their minds off of football for five weeks and say, you know what, I got to get away from this? How does it work with the, with the players and coaches? No, no, they all get away. I mean, every one of them. They're, they were all out of there like yesterday afternoon. <laughs> they, we were supposed to have an um, open locker room period to interview players at 2. And they moved it up to 12.15 the last minute because everybody was going to be gone at 2. Right. That's how quickly they got out of there. And I talked to a bunch of coaches. I mean, every one of them already had their plans. I mean, Ronald Curry, the quarterback coach, he was going to be in Mexico today. So he was probably wow. flying out last night. I mean, they, they get out of there because it's really their only time to do it. And they've all got families. You know, Coach Curry has, like, his son's like a little league star. So he had to, uh, you know, wedge in a little beach time with his wife before they got back on the little league circuit. I mean, you know, everybody's busy. So uh, I think it's their, their one time a year to kind of decompress from the grind because they know once late July gets here – you know, it's an all-day sucker for about six straight months. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, I don't know if our minds just don't process it or whatever, but that is true. I mean, it's the same way for us. Once we come back from wherever we're going, I know that as soon as I come back from vacation, we're already working on these uh, division, team-by-team division previews. And when they're done, the season's just about starting. So it's going to be nonstop mode when once you get back. I mean – the, they need to get away. I mean, but it used to be different back when you and I were pups back in this business. It wasn't necessarily a 52 week a year or a 48 week a year job. I mean, it was, you know, you had time to get away and do different things once the season ended, but it really isn't that way anymore. No. And then the thing is that the way the NFL players association has negotiated the off season uh, and I think it's a good thing. I, you know, I, I'm, I laugh all the time and kid, I, I feel like if we wanted to really torture prisoners of war, we'd actually take them to off season NFL practices and make them stand out there and watch this mindless stuff going on. Uh, I know we're going to talk about it, but I, maybe I'm just getting jaded in old age, but uh, I don't think it's necessary. And I think the players association has figured out it's really not that necessary 
to have all these off-season workouts. Uh, yes, for the newcomers, the new players to get indoctrinated in the system, they need it. They need the reps. Uh, but Cam Jordan doesn't need to be out there. I mean, at all. I agree. 100%. So I think it's uh, you know good that we've dialed a lot of that back uh, because the guys are in shape year round. It's not like the old days when Doug Atkins was playing and everybody had to get into shape. Uh, these guys are in phenomenal shape year round. You know, it, uh, maybe it's because I'm older, but uh, and have changed the way that I think about a lot of things. But uh, I, that's something that I don't think I would have agreed with uh, 20 years ago. I would have said get their butts out there and, and make them work. But I agree with you. I mean, and maybe it's because our jobs about football have become 12 month a year jobs. I mean, I mean, look at us talking about football. We're talking about football in June, but we were talking about football in May and we were talking about football in April. I mean, it's, it's what we do now. I mean, even when the Pelicans are doing well, we might spend 60, 70% of a show in the Pelicans, but we're still fitting in the saints some kind of way. And it doesn't work the other way around. I mean, the NBA draft is next week. We're not talking about that at all today. We're talking about the, the, the New Orleans Saints. And so it is a 12-month-a-year thing, and I don't know. I mean, I have mixed feelings about it, but I definitely agree that the players, they need to have more time off. And, um, you know, as they get more, uh, as, as the NFL seems to be more hard-hitting and, and more focused on different things, I, you know, I, I wish they did, would have more time off. Well, you know, I think my, my little criticism of how the thing is covered now is there's just so such breathless coverage yeah. of these off-season workouts, and it's really silly, J.D. I mean, like, they're out there. They're, it's not football. They're out there in shorts and T-shirts. There's no contact. Uh, so they're running on air, and we're supposed to have these observations, you know. And, I mean, I'm at the supermarket, and, and people are asking me, what, what does so-and-so look like? And I'm like, well, I mean, what do you mean what does he look like? He, he looks like a professional athlete. It's just too much. That's not what now, you say to Ann Mabel. That's not what you say to Ann Mabel, now. No, it's just, I don't know. I mean, what do they look like? Are they going to be good this year? Uh, I don't know. Neither does anybody else. I mean, nobody knows. That's why we play the games. But it's just uh, uh, this coverage of 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 observations and I'm writing them today. I'm writing observations, but it's not going to be on evaluating, uh, you know, how a player playing in a practice against another player. It's going to be more how maybe he's being utilized, what the depth chart looks like, uh, who's got me a little concerned. Now the starting quarterback, JD, you know, things like that uh, will get me, um, will get my observations, but, uh, I can't tell you right now if Trevor Pinning is going to make it at left tackle. I have no idea. We'll, we'll find out. You're getting old, Jeff Duncan. You're turning into that get off my lawn dude, aren't you? I know. I've been that guy. <laughs> uh, no, I just it, it's just gotten too much. I mean, you ask the coach. The way I would put it to you, Jim, is ask the coaches if they if they think you get a lot out of watching these things right now. No, they're they're basically. Tyran Matthew talked the other day. We we were talking about he's a veteran guy. He needs to be out there to figure out where to go in the defensive scheme. He's out there running around at about 75% speed. You know, he's just trying to fit in and figure everything out. He wants to know so he can play fast. This is the first installation. Now they'll get a second installation when they get back to training camp, and then they'll get a third one in training camp. So it's reps, right? They're just going through it all. They're not going back over things. It's a fire hose. And so all the newcomers – 
they're getting it all right now. It's just a flood of information. Uh, but as far as like trying to evaluate the team drills, and I'm you know I'm not going to sit out there and chart how many completions. I mean, Jameis Winston isn't even throwing in the team drills. They you know they're being cautious with them. So that's that's my complaints. The old man. Okay, but here in, in the defense of the other side, and I think I'm probably more on your side than I am on the other side, but I'm think about it. I mean, the entire offense is probably going to be, I mean, the plays aren't going to be new per se. There will be some new wrinkles here and there, but you have new units working together. It's not just penning. I mean, the, the receiving core you see on the field next year will be very different than the one we saw for 17 games last year, right? right. Um, yeah. Running backs will be pretty much the same. You got Taysom Hill now that's pretty much, I, don't, I can't say solely a tight end, but primarily a tight end. So, I mean, there are going to be lots of things different. I mean, the, the defense will have some new personnel. It'll be a lot like it was last year, but there are a lot of changes on this team going into 2022 than there were in 2021. No, I know. My, my point is like, okay, making an observation on Chris Olave. This is a good example. Right. You talk to scouts around the league, college scouts, people, one of the big question marks they have on Olave, and it's pretty persistent, is not very big. He's a slight guy. Is he going to be able to get off the line of scrimmage in the NFL? That's a big question. I know the Saints know it. They're probably going to use a lot of bunch formations to free him up. They're going to use some tactics. But it, I would love to see him against this defense, which is one of the best in the league at press coverage with Marshawn Lattimore, C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Those guys get after you on the line. But right now, there's, there's nothing physical going on. So, like, the judge, Chris Olave, when, which I get asked all the time, what's he look like? Well, you know, he looks smooth out there running on air. But, I mean, we're not going to find out about him until we get to training camp and we see somebody get up in his face and put their hands on him with pads on and get physical. Right now, I mean, he's going to get open because it's, it's you know, it's out there, as Bill Parcells said, in their pajamas. I get asked that, and I'm not even out there at minicamp. And the people that ask me right. know that I'm not out at minicamp. They still ask me anyway. How am I supposed to know? I don't know, Jeff Duncan. You, you, you just still, you know, take it easy on these. I mean, they just can't. They're making small talk. Look, I, I think I said this a couple of weeks ago. I ran into Dennis Allen in a car wash. You know, you, it's like, all right, what am I supposed to say? You, you can't just say hi because you live in New Orleans and we're, you know, we're overdone by nature. That's just the way that we work. So you got you to gotta make some kind of conversation. How's things going out there at uh, OTAs, you know? Now, the, the dude was super nice. I've only met him one other time. Um, but uh, super nice. Didn't I didn't say that I work with a paper or anything, just making small talk. And he stood there for a few minutes and, and talked like a nice, you know, like a nice guy. He's a good so, dude. So that was and pretty he impressive. Also took, he took the practices indoors uh, on the final day of minicamp. I saw that. Won, won my uh, Coach of the Year award for that because <laughs> it was brutal those first two days. It's brutal. I, dude, this this might be the – I mean, I'm not going to get off topic, but this might be the worst June uh, that I can remember in a long time. I, and like I said, I'm getting old. So any 92 feels like 102 now, but 97 feels like I'm on the surface of the sun. All right, let's get to get away from the weather and get to what you did see at minicamp. All right, so there are some things that I think – I agree with you mo for the most part. We can't tell, you know – you're not going to be able to tell whether Chris Olave is going to get off the line of scrimmage. 
We don't know anything about Michael Thomas right now. We don't know whether Alvin Kamara is going to get suspended. He's not talking to anybody, which is perfectly understandable. Um, all kinds of things. There are way more questions right now than there are answers. That being said, you know, I, I found the roundtable that, that we posted this morning. By the way, NOAA.com slash sports. And if you want to be more specific, NOAA.com slash sports slash saints. We have a great roundtable between Jeff Duncan, Rod Walker, and Luke Johnson, uh, who cover the Saints um, for us here at NOAA.com. They've all been out at minicamp. Their thoughts, they, they ask themselves questions, and, and I'll give an answer about it, and I think it's very interesting. Definitely worth a read. But I wanted to talk about some of these questions um, that I thought some of your answers were interesting. Um, and the first one is I believe it is the the second question. What what if any are your greatest concerns? And you talk about Jameis Winston and, and how he's still favoring that leg a little bit. Um, why does it concern you so much that that we're here in June? It's still uh, what three months before the season starts. I mean, he, if you think about it, he's still only eight months off of that that injury. It it, it seems. Like he should still be favoring it a little bit, but what 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 is the most concerning about Jameis Winston walking around like that to you? I, I don't I don't know if that's true though. That's what I'm saying. Like I uh, look, it's it's amazing he's out there, uh, but other players have come back quicker from ACLs than that surgery and aren't out there and haven't been limping. Uh, you know, you just you can go go Google a bunch of quarterbacks, Philip Rivers, I and mean, I can go down the list that have come back even quicker in these kind of workouts and aren't favoring their leg like that. So to me, that's a little concerning. You, you know, Dennis Allen doesn't seem concerned, but it opened my eyes when he said he wasn't, uh, he couldn't guarantee he was going to be a hundred percent for the start of training camp. But I mean, we're not far away. We're like five weeks away from the start of training camp. So I don't know, that, that concerns me. I didn't think he would be out there favoring it. I, I thought if he's, if he's the point of favoring a leg, I don't know if I would want him out there right now. Right. Let him keep rehabbing, just like Taysom Hill's doing, like Mike Thomas is doing. Uh, I know he wants to be out there, but, um, you know, I don't know. That, that's got me a little concerned. What, what is encouraging to me is that Andy Dalton has looked great. So, I mean, I didn't have any expectations for Andy Dalton, but uh, internally, ever, they're very happy with him. So that should give Saints fans encouragement in case something does happen to James Winston that – you know, the ship can stay righted with a veteran backup. Right here in the Datitude podcast, and I've said this many times, get it out of your head, Saints fans. I know there are still people out there. Taysom Hill is not playing quarterback on this football team. Can you help me dispel this this myth? I still see it on social media. Well, no, he. I think he will play. I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about like his Swiss Army knife role where he. Yeah, he still yeah, he'll comes be in. in that role. Yeah, I mean he's not gonna. No, no, he's gonna be the he's gonna be the gadget guy, and yeah, if, exactly. if something happens to Jameis, Andy Dalton will be the starter. And I like the way they got it set up now. Uh, I'm just a little concerned about you know Taysom coming back. To be honest, at, at the level he was, I mean, he's been beat up, man. He was beat up in college. Uh, he, he's just starting to get beat up now in the NFL. He was kind of injury free for about three years. Uh, his concussions have been an issue. Uh, that's the, that's a tough role he's going to be in. And I was glad that Dennis Allen cleared it up, though, because I think a lot of people thought he was going to be strictly a tight end. And I was like, I don't think that's the idea either. I yeah, think right. he's going to play a lot of tight end, but he did that before, too. 
So I think we're just, he's just going to be the role he was always been in because he, he's effective in that role. They don't have a position listed for Swiss Army Knife. Correct. Just, uh, yeah, utility, right? We have that in our fantasy baseball league. That's, that's what exactly. He's, he's the U. He's and the you, can only, you, you can only use him at utility. Well, here's the thing, Jim. Also, like, so you got no Mike Thomas out there right now. You got no Taysom Hill. Uh, you know, there's a lot of missing parts that are, are some of the playmakers that will be a part of this offense. So that's the other thing you got to be reserved about because right now the defense in those team drills dominates. But, you know, Jameis is limited, and he's not even out there in some of the team drills. So you're not playing with your starting quarterback, your number one receiver, and one of your five best playmakers. So uh, it's hard to make a lot of these real strong evaluations when you're missing so many key people. Andy Dalton is the starting quarterback. Jameis Winston, let's just say there is a chance that Jameis Winston can't be ready for opening day. Who's the backup quarterback? Well, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. I don't. I think they would probably go to Taysom Hill. What they probably do is what happened like the last few times it's happened where Ian Book would go into the game if it happened during a game and then Taysom would be the guy, but you know, if if Dalton and Winston went down, I'm sure they would go to Taysom Hill. You know, I'm going to be like, interested next uh, week. Well, I'm going to be interested to see. That's going to be one of the things that I look at in camp is, I mean, I think Ian Book has to take huge steps to to have a chance to stay on an NFL roster, in my opinion, this year. Um, I don't think you could take a whole lot of what he was able to, what he did last year, and obviously he looked bad in that Monday night game and, I mean, but you're throwing this rookie to the wolves, and he had no offensive line. People forget that. Um, but I think Ian Book needs to make a huge step forward to have a chance to be on an NFL roster after this year. You agree with that? Yeah, I mean, well, he's still got practice squad eligibility, so you know, he might be able to stash on there. Uh, but you're right. Look, I mean, he was a, a big Sean Payton was was his big ally. So yeah, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you and. Look, I think I think the Saints are better quarterback than I thought they were going to be because of, because of how good Dalton has looked. But I would say this too, you know, I don't think the Saints. I know there's a a lot of bubbling, uh, you know, talk right now. I mean, my boy Bobby A. Bear has been chatting up how good Dalton has looked, and even went so far as to say he thinks he's you know better right now than Jameis Winston. And I can tell you internally, they're not on that train at all. Like internally, they 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 are bullish on Winston, and this is his team. And Daniel Dalton is clearly the backup. So uh, don't you know? I tried to talk to Bobby yesterday and say it ain't gonna happen, dude. So uh, they're all all in on Winston. But it is encouraging that Dalton is good enough, I think, to win games, especially with this team, Jim, because this team's talented. Uh, you know, they don't need a superstar quarterback. They just need a good, solid game manager. Before I move on from Jameis Winston, <clears throat> because I'm going to very shortly, it, it really bugs me. It bugs me that Joe Q fan, it, and I've said this before, I, I don't care. It's my show. I'm going to say it again. It, it, it bugs me that people have a problem with Jameis Winston. I, 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 you know, I'm, Drew Brees is gone. He's not coming back. Drew Brees is not going to walk in the building there is no one like Drew Brees that's going to walk into the building. Therefore, the, the, the typical thing, I mean, it's like anything else, I guess. You know, Lou Gehrig might have got it for Wally, when Wally Pip went out. Who knows? But 
it, it just bugs me. I mean, this guy was a for, is a former first pick of the NFL draft. He had his issues in Tampa Bay, but I don't think he had coaching in Tampa Bay. I think he's with the right people here. He's got the desire. He's got the heart. He's work. I mean, it's clear that. He, I mean, Mark Ingram talks about how he's working harder than any player out there at camp. He's the first one in the in the building, and he's the last one to leave. I mean, why are fans so hard to give this guy a real chance to take the reins of this team and move forward? No, no, I think you make a great point. You know, I wrote a column last year about Taysom Hill that also, I think, applies to Jameis Winston, and it's a lot of the same things that you're talking about. I think Drew Brees just had such a, had such a high standard of, of performance that anybody that stepped in is going to be compared to him, and it's unfair. And, and I think the, the column I wrote was instead of focusing on what Taysom Hill can't do, you know, focus on what he can do. And I think the same thing applies to Jameis Winston. He's not going to be accurate. That's just not what he is. I mean, we watch him during these passing drills, and, you know, there's these little targets they have to hit, these little kind of bullseye right. things with the net around it. And he, he hits like one out of every ten. I'm not exaggerating. I mean, Ian Book – Andy Dalton, they hit like five or six, maybe sometimes seven out of ten. It's just not Jameis Winston's uh, strength. But he does other things really well, incredibly well, better than the other guys. So you have to just kind of realize this is what he is, and let's talk about what he can do. And he does a lot of things extremely well. And I think he's actually become a very good leader. And I think that took time. You know, sometimes that takes a little while. Uh, and so I actually think there's no doubt that the locker room believes in him, the coaching staff believes in him, uh, but he's going to have to do it. And that's what, as just someone that's covered the league a long time and, and has seen a lot of quarterbacks, and, and I just got to see him do it. I, you know, that body of work he had last year was so small and uh, was so limited uh, what he did. And I still think that's a, it's a question mark for me going into the season. And the reason you and I talked in a previous episode of the podcast, you know, why is the national media maybe not as believing as, as the locals in this team? I think because there's questions about Dennis Allen as a coach, questions about Jameis Winston as a quarterback, because they're, they're the faces of the franchise and there are questions. I still have questions about it. So uh, I think there's reason for skepticism. Well, I will say this, uh, everything I read, everything I see, everything I hear, the players are behind them 100%, and it's not just lip service. They right. truly believe that that they have a really good quarterback um, back there under center. And you know what? They've got me believing, too. So as long as they believe in it, it's the only thing that matters. Doesn't matter what you or I think, but I'm, they've got me in their corner. So the fact that some fans won't let it go and won't give them a chance just bugs me a little bit. But I'm going to move on from that and – my soapbox has worn down. Somebody poured water on it, and it's now nothing but a bunch of bubbles and suds. So um, Luke Johnson talks about how, you know, the, the big thing that he saw was the receiving core. And although we don't know what Michael Thomas is going to be able to do, I mean, no one, I don't think anyone realistically can expect him to go back to his old form. But, but any, you know, 80% of his old form would be huge for this team. He's now, and one of the things that I've loved, that I've seen, you could tell me if I'm wrong, a dunk, but one of the impressive things that I've seen just from reading and, and looking at different things, I love the way that how Jarvis Landry has come in and kind of like taken that role of leader and, and veteran leader 
one of the main reasons why they, they brought him in here in the first place. But I think if anyone's going to help Chris Olave, I think it's going to be Jarvis Landry. And I, and I love this signing already just from what I've seen. Yeah, no, I think Luke was spot on in that regard. Landry, I think he's going to be, if I had to make a comp for him right now, I would say he's going to be another uh, 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 Lance Moore, maybe a little, yeah. you know, he's a little different from Lance Moore, but that kind of role, in other words, he's going to be the security blanket on third down. You can already see Jameis going to him a lot. Uh, he catches almost everything. I mean, the guy's got great hands. And he also runs after the catch really well. You can see he's got running skills, which I think the Saints need. They don't. They didn't have that at all last year right. in any of those receivers. So I think when you when you get Mike Thomas out there in the fall on one side, and you're probably going to end up with uh, Olave out wide and in the slot there uh, on the other side with um, with Landry, and then if you put Taysom Hill at the gadget role and Alvin Kamara, I mean that's five big time weapons. I mean that. It's a totally different situation than a year ago. You're going to have five people you really have to fend. Uh, so Jameis Winston, I don't think he's going to have to be this superstar. You know, like I said, I think he's going to just operate this offense. Uh, and it's just, I, I think if this team can score in the mid-20s, you know, 27 points a game, somewhere around there, 24, they're going to win most games because the defense is, uh, I think, lights out. You led me right into my next question. You know, Rod Walker talks about, you know, what, one of the things that he liked was the depth at receiver, which we've just talked about, and the depth in the secondary. You know, it's funny because when Malcolm Jenkins retired um, and the team lost Marcus Williams, you, you started worrying, like, uh-oh. This secondary, I mean, because I've been in New Orleans my entire life. One of the th- things the Saints never really had until about 12 or 13 years ago was the secondary you'd even want to talk about. I mean – Through the the first 35 years or so of this team's existence, their secondary was awful from the early days to even, I think, when Drew Brees first got here. um, They were terrible. And so it's been nice to see you get get jaded and you get used to seeing a good secondary. So when those two guys left, you're like, "Uh uh-oh. But now maybe the strength of this team. And uh, you talk about how you're really impressed with this defense to me. It starts with Cam Jordan, but number two right behind it is, is that big secondary that's behind it. No, I think the secondary has been tremendous during camp. Really, really good. Uh, depth is better. Uh, they've got, you know, they, they've got a lot of good defensive backs. They're going to have trouble making cuts, I think. Uh, and we haven't even seen them dial it up with the pass rush yet. Uh, I thought Dennis Allen just out of nowhere yesterday, unsolicited, um, praised Carl Granderson. No one, no one even asked about Carl Granson. So that's a good sign. And he has looked good. Uh, and we haven't seen Marcus Davenport because of his kind of fluke injury and he's rehabbing his shoulder. And that's obviously a concern. I mean, he's had these injury, uh, injury history. Peyton Turner hasn't been out there. Uh, Taco Charlton is hurt now. So uh, there's depth in, in, on almost every area of the defense. And uh, I don't see any real weak spots at all on that defense. I think they've got more depth than they had a year ago, too. All right. How, how do you use part of a finger is what I want to know. It got infected. You know, it happens a lot. He, got a, he had a plate inserted because he had, like, kept getting broken fingers, which happens a lot to linemen. You know, they get their hands caught, right. face masks, and, 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 you know, get twisted. So his finger, he actually said, was pretty much useless anyway. It was kind of bent at a 90-degree angle. And I guess they had a plate inserted to straighten it out, and it got infected. So 
I don't think it's – it sounds a lot worse than what it is. It's, first of all, it's like kind of half of its pinky. So if you're going to have an amputation, I would we're say – We're talking about Marcus uh, Davenport. In case there are people out there yeah. wondering what we're talking about, we're talking about Marcus Davenport um, lost part of his finger. Uh, right. And so that's why I'm asking Dunk. But I, they, yeah, we're talking and, about the defense. And it's, it's not like Jason Pierre-Paul, but if you remember Jason Pierre-Paul yeah. missed, like, I think two whole fingers – so I don't think there's going to be any concern here. It sounds probably a lot worse than it is. It's not I like the a shoulder. The shoulder is a bigger concern, I think, uh, than than the finger. It's not like a former Hall of Fame uh, defensive back Ronnie Lott either, who actually cut his own finger off on yeah. purpose because he was told he would either cut the finger off or he was finished with football, and so he cut his finger off. That is a true story, boys and girls. Yeah, that that's how tough that dude was, um, and he was a pain in the keister to. To Saints fans. Um, go ahead. You got something to say on that? Well, no, I was going to say my old alma mater, University of Louisville, when they won the national title in 1980, they had a starter on their team named Wally Brown who had no thumb. And he played with a prosthetic thumb. So uh, I was wondering if that could be a, an option for Marcus Davenport. But like I said, it's half of his wow. tip of his like finger. It's not, it's not, it sounds worse. Amputation. Immediately yeah. your eyes open. Yeah, well, you know, you start talking about cutting off digits, any pieces of right. them, you know, just gives you a little heebie-jeebie. coming back. Not, not, yeah, exactly. Nothing growing back there. It's not like, like a fingernail. Well, heebie-jeebie action going on. Don't cut anything off my fingers and my toes. Leave them alone. You can't have any of them. All right, um, running back situation, um, you know, you talk about uh, – people are talking about David Johnson. He's a has-been. He's washed up. Well, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. I mean, but at this point – Another social media. I mean, fans need to wake up and face the reality. You don't just go and find another Alvin Kamara on the street right. somewhere. It's not that easy, <laughs> boys and girls. So you have to find something. Is David Johnson, do we think he's still serviceable, or are the Saints going to try to find other options as well? No, I think he's probably about as good as you're going to get, you know, on the street at this uh, age. I mean, there's a great old Bill Parcells quote that, I think of when I think of David Johnson, it's like every running back is going to run, you know, for a yard of carry if there's no holes, right? You know, so like that's right. They all become reduced down to the same player. Can't run if there's no holes. I'm not sure David Johnson's had a lot to run to in Houston the last few years, right? Their offensive line's been real weak spot. So, and we're talking about a guy that's going to probably be the band aid, right? You know, he's going to be the the fill-in for whatever we're looking at with Alvin Kamara, whether if, if it's anything, four to six games, who knows. But the point is he's not going to be asked to carry the load for the whole season. Uh, you know, Mark Ingram did not look very good to me when I, when I was out there, but I found out recently that he had had a scope uh, on his knee uh, not too long ago. So that makes more sense to me because he didn't look like he had really much burst at all, but that makes sense to me now. So, again, that's a good example of how you can't really evaluate sometimes unless you get the whole story because I was a little concerned with the way Ingram looked. Um, and I think the Saints were smart to get a, a little insurance policy, at least to look at David Johnson now before training camp. Mark Ingram is 63 years old, by the way. <laughs> right. So it's amazing. I mean, he yeah, came it, in the same year as Cam Jordan. It's amazing. They're still You know what? It. And for a running back, that's saying something because running backs don't usually – Last that long. Defensive ends last a lot longer than, than running backs. I want to give a real – I don't even know if you remember this, but um, David Johnson was a rookie. I don't know, what is he, eight or nine years in the league now? Correct. And I didn't even know who the guy was. 
and um, you told me, make sure, J.D., you get this guy in, in your fantasy league. This guy's going to be a stud. And I did get him in two of my leagues, and he was a stud, at least in the, in the early years. Well, then so. he got hurt. Yeah, once yeah. he got hurt, he wasn't the same guy. I mean, you just look at his numbers. Look at it. Look at the back of his baseball football card. <laughs> you know, you'll yeah. see what I'm talking about. The first two years, he looks like an all-pro. He was a pro bowler, and then it just drops off. But, yeah, I'll tell you one thing about him that I like. He fits the Saints mode. He's a great guy. He's a pro. Everybody has, speaks highly of him, his own teammates, coaches. He's going to fit in great with the slack room if they, if they elect to sign. All right. Uh, we're about to go on vacation. Before I let you go, there's, there's two – Two things I want to touch on, um, two things we have on the site that I, that I want to touch on and get your perspective on. Jari Evans going into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame, uh, former lineman, Super Bowl lineman for the New Orleans Saints. I think to me, Jari Evans is one of the more, and now O linemen never get the praise they deserve. But to me, he was one of those guys that, I mean, really flew under the radar, really should have gotten more praise than he deserved, how important he was to the these Saints teams for a decade. And uh, there, there might, you know, we always use this these cliches of no more well-deserving. There really might not be a more well-deserving guy than Jari Evans to go into Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame. No, I agree. I'm just looking up while you're talking because I couldn't remember how many All-Pro honors he had. Four-time All-Pro six-time Pro Bowler, and I interviewed Jari for that story uh, because I was assigned that story for the Hall of Fame, and uh, I, I had a good long conversation with him about it. I mean, he's going to be on the ballot this year for the Pro Football Hall of Fame for the first time. His first he year of eligibility it. is this coming year, and we are going to have a little game plan to try. Of course, I'm going to make his presentation if he gets to be a finalist, but I think he's got a shot as a Pro Football Hall of Famer because of those honors, I mean, he was a first-team, uh, uh, all-2010s team, all-decade team. That is usually uh, puts you in a class to get into the Hall of Fame. I think uh, he's comparable to, say, like Will Shields. Remember Will Shields? Yeah, he, absolutely. He Hall of Fame. Uh, and I guess to put it into context, Jim, I think Jari Evans, other than Drew Brees, Jari Evans is probably the only – Hall of Fame worthy or Hall of Fame caliber player uh, on the offensive side of the ball during the entire Brees Peyton era. Now, Mike Thomas, Alvin Kamara have had tremendous starts to their career. They still got a long ways to go. I think Cam Jordan is definitely going to make it as an end, but that's it. Other than other than Brees, I think it's going to be Cam Jordan and and I think Jari Evans has a real strong shot. Poor Marcus Colston. Never gets the praise that he deserves. Get this. He, he can't even get on the ballot. That's insane. He, he, he never earned a, a Pro Bowl or All-Pro honors. You have to have at least one. And it's amazing he didn't get on uh, in there one year, but he didn't. You know what's amazing? And, and part of the reason why Marcus Colston doesn't get the, the love that he deserves because he was the seventh-round pick or whatever but you talk about Jari Evans. I mean, what makes him even more amazing is he came from this school that no one ever heard of. Was it Bloomsburg College? Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay, so he came from a school that no one ever heard of. And generally, even when those guys make a name for themselves and end up starting for however long he started, they still don't end up with his super praise because they weren't these first-round high-profile picks. 
Yeah, well, here, here's the thing about him. If you read his backstory, if you know his backstory, I mean, he would have been at Penn State or Maryland or somewhere in the Big Ten, uh, but he broke his like he broke his kneecap. He dislocated his knee playing pickup basketball like before his senior year, like mm. basically like this I didn't know that. your senior year, and he didn't play football his senior year because he was re- recovering from that knee injury, and. Um, you know, the, the, you know how it works in recruiting. Right. I mean, people, especially back then, even more so. Um, you know, they, they the he same slipped way through now. the cracks. He yeah. slipped through the cracks, right? So he was a, a obviously a high level talent. And I talked to some of his coaches that coached him at Bloomsburg, and they said, "Yeah, as soon as we got him out there, we were like, okay, this guy's at another level." You can imagine how he was dominating at that level. <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, when he was playing. And look, there's a there's a thing called an approximate value which is a, a metric that sportsreference.com uh, uses, which I love that site, by the way. I think everybody in sports yeah, journalism uses it all the time. But if, you, if you go there, you know, like a good year for a player is like you, you get like a, a number assigned, and 18 is a good year, 16, very high level. I mean, Jari Evans, Jim, year after year, you go, I mean, 18, 16, 20, 15. I mean, those are what Drew Brees well, his approximate value rating were, were those same years. So he played at a very, very high level for a long time. I'm looking at his stats here. His first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight seasons, he didn't miss a game. Think about that. Didn't yeah, miss that's a game amazing for, eight for all seasons. That is incredible. Yeah. Right. So durability, everything about him. Talk to like Zach Streep or somebody about Jari Evans. I mean, he was dominant. So uh, certainly worthy of the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame, and I think maybe even greater honors down the road. Yeah, I mean, 20 years ago, too, they didn't have the portal that they have. Had they had the portal that they have now, Jari Evans would have transferred to a Penn State, most likely. He wouldn't have stayed at Bloomsburg College, but yep. it wasn't nearly as easy to move to another school back then as it is now. No, that's a great point, and I don't think there's any doubt about it because they were recruiting him, you know, the, the, his junior season, and everybody kind of, backed off because he didn't know how that injury would affect him. All right, we're going to talk about this next week with our special guest, but I want to take your get your take on the black helmets. I mean, they're, they're all, all the rave, all over Twitter, all over uh, social media. Um, we've been talking about black helmets since I was a kid. They need to break out the black helmets. They need to do – they're finally breaking out the black helmets. And I want to get your opinion. Mine is – you know, after all these years of waiting for it and waiting for it, I was kind of underwhelmed, I got to say. <laughs> I look, I'm, I'm mad because I had heard about it a few weeks ago uh-huh. and started asking around, you know, so some of my sources. Right. And everybody kind of uh, gave me the, the dust off. And I, my <laughs> You're not going to break our news, Jeff Duncan. Yeah. They, I mean, nobody would, would give, you know, it wasn't like they said, no, we're not using them. They kind of like distracted me and started talking about other things. And Jedi I should have my Fred. antenna. My antenna should have been up uh, because I could have broken that story. But I knew a year ago that they were working on them and that they were trying to get it for this season. And that's why I started asking around. Point is, I like the black helmets, but I'm with you. I think they kind of missed the mark there a little bit. I like the ones you see some of these mock ups people have on social media. Uh, I like the old ones that they wore yeah. in 69 and let modernize that look. And I think they'd have it. They got to get the, I, I, look, I appreciate what they were trying to do. I'm not, 
I'm not dissing on it or anything like that. I, I, th- I think it's a great idea that they bring him out. And, and I like what they were trying to do with the little flirtily thing going on. Looks like almost like a Wolverine thing going over the top of that helmet. It ends in a point in the back. I, I, I'm not so sure about that. But the old ones, like you're talking about with the stripes going, it's got the white stripe and then the gold stripe in the middle that looks old school with those old yeah. school uniforms. By the way, it's a whole other story as I go on a, off on a tangent like I often do. They're wearing them with the with the with the white. Jer- I hope they don't really wear them with the white jerseys and the white pants and the color rush. I mean, because to me, if you're gonna wear a black helmet, have it on blackout. We have black helmet, right. black jersey, black pants. We're not really gonna do that, are we? No, I don't think so. I think they're gonna be wearing black, is what I think. Okay. But but look, I I'm with you. I mean, remember how LSU broke out the white helmets a few years yeah. ago? Yeah. Like if you're gonna go white, they won with the purple helmets. Or, yeah, I mean, purple jerseys. Well, what I'm saying is, like, if the Saints were going to go all white color rush, then go with a white Saints helmet. That would yeah. be cool. You know, yeah, make, it, make it match, for Christ's sake. Yeah, and, and, and I want to ask you if you were with me. I mean, I know you haven't been here. You weren't here through the really god-awful, brings chills to my, like, John North, John Meekum days. Okay, but these jerseys that they wear now with the, the black numbers – they, they remind me of those. I, every time I see them, I think of my my youth. I still do. And so I, you see these color rush jerseys, and they're so awesome. I, th- I think their color rush uniforms are fantastic. Someone explain to me why they don't make this their their real road jerseys. Oh, their real road uniforms. Their reason why they, they don't just take them and make them their road uniforms. They've had plenty of yeah, time. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I know like any kind of uniform. Uh, modification or anything it all has to be done like a year ahead of time the league has well to they've been wearing for four years so. <clears throat> no but i mean like they'd have to go and get it through, approved and there's all kinds of things that people don't realize like there's a lot of stuff goes into just how the uniform looks on tv and like the nfl has yeah. people that that's their jobs is to see what it looks like on tv they want to make sure you're distinctive which is one of the things i've always loved about the saints is, you know, when you walk by, say you're in a mall or somewhere in the airport, you see a flat screen across no the concourse. You can tell it's the Saints almost right away from afar because their uniforms are really unique. I love their color scheme. I love their their classic uniform, the flirtily on the helmet. I mean, everything about their look to me is not only unique and distinctive, but it also reflects the city of New Orleans, you know, like everything about it. The logo is the city's. City logo, the Fleur de Lis. Uh, it's just beautiful, the entire story of the Saints uniform, color scheme, and design. So I was a little disappointed like you and what they came up with. And we're going to find out. We're going to get to the bottom of that next week, hopefully, on the podcast. Yeah, I'm not going to – I'm not asking for a massive change. But um, it is definitely time for a retweaking of the uniform. It's basically been the same exact uniform since before Drew Brees got here. They have not changed. I don't. They haven't changed a font. Uh, they haven't changed a how big the numbers are. They haven't changed a, sl- a slight dis- different color. Anything uh, besides? And I think we've gone through three different companies now making Saints jerseys or NFL jerseys since we've had a, a uniform change. So again, I'm not asking for a major redesign, but I do think something. I never understood why they didn't just take those color rush jerseys and that they need to make those their away jerseys or their white jerseys, whatever, because I think they're 
To me, those are the best looking white jerseys in the NFL. I'm not exaggerating. And those black numbers. Yeah, no, give, I love them. Those the, black the white color rushes, they're, they're amazingly clean and tight looking uniforms. Uh, and what's funny is you should talk to the offensive linemen don't like them. They say they're not really? flattering. Oh, yeah. They, they go, not, not a good look for us. So the, those guys don't like it. But, you know, the running backs, the receivers, they all look great in them. Uh, you know, the slimming, I guess, is is uh, w- what they say. But I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to you. But I can tell you, I've got an idea for a story that I think will be fun. I know we got to get off here. But I'm kind of curious if you think this is a good story. It's a, I'm kind of a little bit of an equipment geek a mm-hmm. little bit. And I was talking to John Baumgartner, the Saints, you know, equipment manager for this column I did this week. And uh, in the background, in the Saints equipment behind John, as we were talking, Bum, as, as he's known, he had all of their, their face masks up, you know, the different model face masks. Yep. And I think there might be a good story there, like why players pick the face mask they pick. I'm not kidding you, J.D. There must have been a hundred different styles of face mask grill, you know, work <laughs> that these guys can pick from. And it's just so different than what it used to be. Remember the old, like, Johnny Unitas bars? And you know, used to have about three or four different kinds. Now there's, there's scores of them. And I would just – I think there might be a fun story there. And who picks what, why they pick it, what, what's their thought process behind it? There's got to be a thought process. It's not I, just I, random. I, I think you will uh, get my answer when I ask you this question. Do you remember back in the – in the old days when we we're going to school, I'm really going to show my age now. But remember, we used to get those 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 order sheets back in school, and you can order like books. Yep. And then it would take them like eight weeks to come in. Like you would order it the first week of school, and you'd get it like around Thanksgiving, and you think it was great. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, of course. I, okay. I know. Yeah. I know right, exactly. One of the books that I ordered, and and I probably still have it because I'm a pack rot, and my wife hates that about me. But um, it, it was an evolution of the face mask book. So my answer is yes, I think it would be a great story. But, I mean, this is back in the 70s when they, they, they probably only had like five different face masks as opposed to today. I mean, I remember Ricky Jackson when he broke his jaw, had this thing look like he was, you know, getting set to go in the, in the war. You know, he had like this chink of armor on, on, on his face. But uh, the evolution of the face mask, and it was a big deal back in the 70s, they were starting to realize how important the face mask actually was. So, And now you're right. It, it's, it's evolved into this big, I think it would be a great story, actually. I mean, now yeah, I'm not, I don't think anybody's, you know, I don't think like I've ever that. read one. Like, I, I, no. I think it's one of those things that no one really has ever thought about. And, and you, you see it a lot, right? You see these different face masks. But I'm curious to, talk to some of the players about why they pick the ones they pick. Yeah. And you know what? I don't even know what the, what the, because people players back in the seventies, a lot of them used to bitch about what kind of face mask they had. Joe Theismann was the last player that wore the single bar face mask because he hated the face mask. It was up to him. He wouldn't even had one. They made him wear that that single bar. So that who, that might be a good subject, but when you do this story, kind of a little tongue in cheek aspect, because Joe Tyson, what I hear, is actually fairly accessible. So uh, there you go. I mean, the single bar face mask, that's how far we've come since you and I were kids. Now, and there's that one that, you know, one that barely has any viewing vision or whatever. Yeah. It's a full grill. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, definitely, I'm definitely curious, and I'd like to pursue it uh, this fall when oh. this training camp opens, when I can kind of survey the locker room. 
I think uh, we absolutely could do that. And you could have like, I bet you there, if there are, what's a 53 man roster when we get that far, by the way, uh, that'll be, you know, and towards the end of August before we get there. But um, I bet you of the 53 saints, there are probably 35 different face masks. Right. I don't think there's any doubt. I didn't have any idea there were that many different yeah. models. Uh, so I think there's, I think, I think that's come a long way. Like you said, back in the day, there were like five different, there was only five yeah. or six different ones. Now there's, it's unlimited almost. Yeah. It's, it's a lot different than, than our old keisters walking around doing things differently than, I don't know. We, we've adapted pretty well. We're still in the business. So uh, that, that, that's a pretty good <laughs> sign that we're still here some kind of way. It's a real miracle. I'm still here. Um, well, before I, you know, before I let you go, we uh, I will announce this while while you're here. We're going to have a very special guest next Friday. You and I are supposed to be on vacation, and we kind of will be, but uh, we'll do it remotely. We're going to have on the Saints general manager Mickey Loomis is going to come on next Friday. You and I are both going to get a chance to talk to him, and pretty excited about it. Um, we've had some really good guests in this show thus far. Uh, former Hall of Fame director, president. David Baker has been on the show. Dale Brown's been on the show. Um, Ricky Jackson has been on the show. So I'm excited to add Mickey Loomis to that list, you know, our first year in existence. Yeah, Mickey's going to be a great guest. And uh, it's good that we've gotten through the mini camps because now he'll have some great, uh, more insight. Really the first time he's had the whole team on the field together uh, this entire offseason. So it'll be great to pick his brain about what he saw, what he was encouraged by, maybe maybe what he thinks of the roster as we, you know, get ready for training camp in late July. I mean, we appreciate uh, Mickey for even agreeing to do it because he's going on vacation as well. Um, he doesn't have, he probably has less time off than anyone else. It's kind of like a, you know, the school principal, all the teachers are, are gone and, you know, they don't leave until late and they come back early. Well, the principal's there all the time. Principal gets a couple of weeks off. Mickey Loomis is the New Orleans Saints school principal. And, uh, we're glad to have him on, and we're gonna we're gonna take a little vacation after that. Dunk, uh, I know you got a lot of going on. I know you've had a busy week of minicamp. Thank you for coming on and talk about it. And we will talk with Mickey next week, and I'll talk to you then. All right, buddy. Talk to you then, Jeff Duncan, our number one guest. No question about it. Dunk is uh, the number one guy. He's the guy we go to. Uh, when we want to really know what's going on, um, Duncan's been in this business a long time, and he's been in the Picayune almost as long as I have. Um, he came in, I think, just a couple years after I did, uh, but I was just an agate clerk when I started. He was already a full-blown columnist. So I don't remember exactly what year he came to, to us, but uh, I know that... Uh, I was just a, by the time he got here, I was probably just a young page designer, certainly in my 20s, and that seems like forever ago. Um, so, Dunk, uh, we're, we're working on doing something as well for our football season. We're going to try to have, uh, make Dunk a permanent uh, fixture on Fridays where we have, trying to come up with a f show format. So, if, uh, we'll see how that works out. If you've got any comments or questions, do you want to ask Mickey Loomis? You're more than welcome to send in a question. We will get it on for you. Jderry at theadvocate.com is how you can reach me. And if you haven't realized it already, you can find this podcast on any major podcast platform. That is Apple Podcast, Google Play, 
Spotify, Stitcher, all those great places um, you can find Datitude. And hey, if you have the inkling, when I share this on Twitter, at Jim Derry Jr. is my Twitter handle. If you're on Twitter, we would appreciate the retweet. We would uh, That would help us a whole lot as we're trying to, I mean, look, we're almost a, a full year into this thing. It's hard to believe. We've had some really good guests. Glad to have Mickey coming on next week to help that out. So if you are so inclined, uh, retweet us. Before I say goodbye for the day and actually uh, begin, oh, sort of semi-begin my vacation. Again, uh, I'm going to have Mickey on. I'll be in Florida next week when, when I interview Mickey Loomis with Jeff Duncan. I'm not sure where Dunk's going to be. I think he's still going to be here. He's not going to be on vacation yet. But um, do have a little little note. It is Father's Day weekend. And, um, you know, I've been very blessed in, throughout my career to do a lot of different things. Um, cover a lot of events that I would have never had the chance to go to probably had I not been in this job. Um, just this year, as a matter of fact, you know, I've, I've been able to cover and go to a Final Four. I've been able to fly out to Vegas and cover and go to an NFL draft and do shows from, from Vegas. But none of that be- beats being a father. Um, being a father is the, by far the number one highlight of my life. Um, you know, being, being, a, being a husband is, is not far behind. So all the great things that I've been blessed with in my life, um, nothing beats being a father. And, uh, you know, I don't get to see my dad very much uh, as he approaches 80 years old this year. He lives in Florida. Um, So Father's Day is always special to me. And it's become even more special, obviously, since I've had my own kids. And um, I just want to say thanks to all the dads out there. Because uh, obviously being a dad, there's really, if that's what you are, there's really not much more important in the world than that. I mean, you can do whatever you want in, in life and be successful in your job or, you know, whatever it is. But there's nothing more important than being a dad or a mom. And so on this Father's Day weekend, as I head off into the land of forget about this job for a little while... I salute you, dads, and uh, have a great weekend and a great Father's Day on Sunday. We'll see you next Friday with Jeff Duncan and Mickey Loomis. Peace and love, my friends. Looking back, he always had a plan. My old man, my old man, feel the callous on his hand. Dusty overalls, my old man. Now I finally understand. I have a lot to learn from my old man.